You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Zubair Akram ke saath aapka program Reflections Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM pe and uh, this is Reflections uh, with uh, your host Zubair Akram and my guest Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Saathiyo aao chalo Madine chale khote sikke jahan pe chalte hain. Ab hume kya koi giraega? एक सहारा गले लगाएगा हमने खुद को गिरा लिया है वहां गिरने वाले जहां संभलते हैं कल भी टुकड़ों पे उनके पलते थे ये कर्म है हुजूर का वरना खोटे सिक्के कहां पे चलते हैं दिस वाज अ ब्यूटीफुल नाथ बाय आम आई एम फॉरगेटिंग द नेम नाउ ब्यूटीफुल नाथ लॉन्गिंग टू गो टू मदीना and hoping for the salvation hoping for the shifa of prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam hoping to see him alayhi salatu wassalam shaykh rizwan muhammad assalamu alaykum wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh um more than halfway down ramadan and uh, yesterday we were uh, shall we maybe continue with where we stop the first segment if i can remember correctly and that was um lessons from battle of badr and how the seerah of prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has um, been quite narrowly examined uh, by some of the historians and the fact that we've only covered battles as a main feature of the seerah has sometimes been problematic in trying mm-hmm. to understand prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself alayhi salatu wassalam um the whole aspect of mercy the whole aspect of um um uh, interaction with human beings and interaction with people as we live the, the segment being living the segment in the concept context that we live in mm-hmm. um uh, the lessons from the seerah itself how to live with people when you are in a minority how to live with people when you interact with other faiths um when when you're part of a, a bigger picture I- in a society that y- you are not f- fully in charge of your own affairs mm-hmm. it is perhaps if i can say that's the scope of this segment where we trying to under- we try to understand um living as a minority living here as a, as as a minority um how is it different for us um from people who live in main heartlands yeah, yeah bismillah rahman rahim <coughs> yes the, the main point i was trying to make was that this that the the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam um we understand it to be um inclusive of a number of different aspects spiritual aspects mm. um characteristics of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam tendrous mannerism you have his personal dealings his, his private dealings you have the also the issue of the various battles the prophet as him took part in the community took, community took part in and i mentioned that one of the th- one of the the, the side was one of the results of codifying the prophet as legacy and, and description of what he did in his life in the most fullest sense was to have a very special area of study which was al-maghazi which is basically battles so you have al-waqidi he has a famous book called kitab al-maghazi and, and numerous other works which similarly focus on um the battles and p- battles remember in the past where were naturally um at the very core of any nation's history um you know in terms of survival in terms of 
um, a raison d'etre to remain and to to promote itself battles were the means by which you promoted your your self worth as as a as a as a nation or as a community and the muslim narrative is no different from that so islamic history is no different from european history in terms of any nation state that previously had um you know in europe for example they would always promote the chivalry and the, and the courage and the valor that their 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 warriors had so Richard the Lionheart, for example, you have numerous examples of that through, throughout history, Alexander the Great. Very few of those episodes talked about the people and their qualities. Most of it was about, and their failings as well as human beings, but most of it was about their victories in battle. Mm -hmm. And in fact, all poetry uh, of that period, which was court poetry and poetry written for the kings, was to um, actually to um, promote their and project their valour and courage. So even in, in the pre-Islamic period, and just even into the Islamic period as well, you have a lot of poets. And poets, remember, at that time were, um, you know, nowadays you have um, celebrities. Yeah. They were the people that, uh, if, if they spoke in favour of you, everybody spoke in favour of you. Mm. If they sp spoke ill of you, everybody spoke ill of you. So and that's part of history throughout. Yes, yeah, so the poets like Homer, for example, he's got the Odyssey and he's got other works, which are basically talking about battles, Regardless of the reasons, if it's for the beauty of a woman, or it's for 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 actual to, to promote yourself as being a person who's courageous, there was always the poets that actually projected the memory of people, and in Isla in Islamic period as well that continued. Um, you know, you know, one of the lines, of the, one of the poets he gave to one of the kings was, "You indeed are like the sun in in in, in comparison to to the." To the to the stars, if you rise up into the sky, everybody else disappears. Every other king is irrelevant in front of you as the greatest king, because you have valor, you have mm -hmm. honor, you have courage, and so it, Islamic history naturally took on that because to survive, you had to promote the courageous aspects of your civilization to survive. Because if you didn't, then before the 1920s, it was basically a, a time when any state could go to war with any state, and it was naturally the case that if you liked the land of another neighbouring state, you would take it. You wouldn't discuss it. There's no way of having a, a treaty. Mm -hmm. And this is why the issue of Brexit is such an important one historically, mm -hmm. because Brexit came out, or Brexit has come out of this issue of trying to move apart from Europe. And remember, Europe came together in the backdrop of the, the Second World War and, and previously the First World War. Mm. And the First World War was predicated upon the fact there was no um, treaties between nations, so people just went to war for the most menial things. If you look at the history of the First World War, the reason why that took place, you'll realise that it was, it was over things that could have been easily checked. Mm. And so that pre-1920s um, world is obviously going to be talking about battles. And Islamic, the Islamic faith does not shrink away the fact that it's, history is built upon battles. So I wouldn't say that we have been missold Islamic history. What I'm saying is we have to see what relevance is all of that to the real situation we, we exist in now, which is different. In other words, if you're going to give a talk or you're going to speak about a topic, you look at the context in which you're speaking as, mu as much as the material you're going to use for the talk. Sheikh, I'm going to ask you something really frank here. Um, we're on air and people are listening and I think we need to be really frank and honest about things. This is the first year in Radio Ramadan we've had to sometimes think 
which ayahs to play because if they're taken out of context this is not the right place is this something we should do surah tawbah surah hujurat no, surah tawbah surah um, you know the qital ayahs mm-hmm. when it's, uh, the, the, the translation the, the commentary of it so some of the some of the mm-hmm. uh, commentators the way they comment if it is taken out of context if it's heard out of context it could be um it's not so much of uh, trouble it's so much of uh, what i'm trying to say here is it, 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 if the context is not given mm-hmm. um it could be misconstrued as if th- these are violence loving people mm-hmm. same with sida mm-hmm. it, uh, we and i was sad when we were doing that mm-hmm. i felt sad we're having to see this commentary of this person we've played for so many years shall be played again that's where living the con- living our faith in the context that we're living in mm-hmm. when we start to censor some of the ayahs of the quran mm-hmm. uh its translation at least or its um uh, commentary because without proper context mm-hmm. it can be problematic Uh, th- I mean that, that's just part and parcel of where we we live. I think that question is, uh, and I've got in my, in my inbox an email. Somebody sent me a. They're translating an old poem. It's Busiri, Imam Busiri. You know the yeah, yeah. Burda. The Burda. He's also got um, Al Hamziya, another poem, within which he has a section about the Jews and the Christians, and mm. in the context of the wars and the Crusades and okay. the enmity, obviously, that's there. He has a section um, condemning certain beliefs of the Christians and Jews. And they sent me that to to check because the translator didn't want to include it in the translation, mm. and they said, "Look, it's a historical <coughs> document, and Imam Busiri wrote this, and maybe it's not palatable to the modern mind now. Mm-hmm. Bec- but if if you understand the context, we'll just say, look, in the context he was writing, and this was this was relevant, maybe justified, maybe not even justified, but is there? We're not saying this is the same thing we'd say now, but the question today for them was, should they include it or should they have a footnote saying?" We've missed out lines sixty-nine to seventy-four, which were about this a topic. But we That's don't find a sad thing to do. I, I won't do that. Yeah, but the, you see, you see, the thing is, uh, what I said to them was, are you providing a historical document, yeah. or are you making something that's going to be relevant for people's use today? Okay. And in that basis, you have to make a decision. If it's something that you mm. want people to interact with and deal with, as a, a poem which you recite. Mm. and they read and they discuss and they and they kind of t- comment upon mm-hmm. then you have to question whether it should be included yeah so, so, so sur- surah anfal without context no just that that issue yeah. i'm talking with the poem but if you're providing a historical document we're going to translate the whole of the hamziya for the for the for, for research and for reading and commentary that's perfectly okay mm. And I think I remember it was about eight nine years ago. I phoned into Radio Ramadan because there was a there was a there was a lecture playing late late night. Yep, yep. And I I said, is anyone awake? Do you realise what this person is saying? And it was actually extremely. Um, I I didn't know how it went through the maybe just some it was on a loop or something because it was Anwar Aulaki. Do you understand? Yep. So I said, can you please t- take it off for your own sake? Yep, yep. Do you understand? So the issue was. The, you know self-censoring you have to be very careful I, i personally would not be in favor of any of that because you have to put everything into context 
you have to discuss in context. So, yeah. for example, in, in Imam Nawawi's got 40 hadith. Mm. In that, he's got the famous hadith, Umirtu nas I've been ordered to fight people until they say they testify there's no God but Allah. But remember, the context is important. And mm. I've no, I know that people do not teach this hadith mm. because they feel they can't talk about it. But the simple thing is, the Prophet ﷺ is saying, I was ordered to fight those people. The people there means the Quraysh and the, and the people that were fighting him. And for them, there was no, um, no choice except fight, fighting mm. at that historical time. And that hadith has no relevance to this day. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Because so do we then understand Imam Ahmad, yeah. Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad, Imam Malik, they all said this is a very specific hadith to a specific time and place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to actually deal with it and say, look, this hadith relates to the time of the Prophet and those specific people. Because God has specifically said to those polytheists who had seen the Prophet had interacted with him and had oppressed him over two decades that now the Prophet is saying I've been ordered to fight you until you say this testify there was no choice for them but that hadith does not have any relevance for today mm. do you understand? so the issue is every single religious text like that has to be discussed we can't just say you know revised edition of the Quran mm-hmm. and it says Surah Anfal from verses you know 3 to 110 we're going to take it because they were only relevant at that time mm. no they're relevant at that time and they're relevant at this time in the proper context and, and if you look at any fair understanding of the Quran from a non-Muslim pr- perspective they will understand that to be clearly the case that those types of verses were revealed for a specific context and no religious tradition would say anything else apart from what was said so if you think of the first um, verse the Quran revealed about Fighting, it says, you know, permission has been given to those that have been oppressed because they have felt the force of oppression. And if it wasn't for God, you know, repulsing certain people for, on, on, by others mm. through war, the mosques, the, the synagogues, the churches, the place of worship would have been destroyed. Now, the reason there is actually to preserve religious diversity. Mm-hmm. The Quran is such an amazing book because it says permission is given to the Muslims to fight because they're being oppressed. And God is saying, if you don't fight, then the mosques, the synagogues, the churches, they're already dis- destroyed. So this idea of it's enough of a sin for the peaceful people to n- do nothing at times of war, that kind of comes into the fore here because there is such a thing as defending um, your rights and your, and, your, and your honor in the face of obvious oppression. And every religious tradition and every non-religious tradition accepts that. It's the base of every nation state. So I'd be very wary of of going through that kind of, for example, a, a translation of the Quran to censure that. I think that is, I don't think that's called for. Okay. Because it's understood that it's a religious text and certain verses. In fact, everything you see is in a context. Yeah. Like the, my discussions in a context. If you speak to, if you, the, the, today you've spoken so many words, every single word's in a context. It is. So why are we saying that religious, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is Shakespeare, for example, it'll take you how many years to understand Shakespeare? Mm-hmm. And if everybody agrees that it takes years to understand Shakespeare, why are you saying a religious text should be instantly accessible to people? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, uh, I take your point on self-censoring, uh, not self-censoring uh, of, of the Quran itself, because unfortunately the world is coming to that, where, where there is such an environment created mm-hmm. that people 
uh, are forced to think, rethink, you know, what what they're putting out as their output uh, on on radio on their or see it's different if you're seeing the commentary and and yes, the context is is problematic. Yeah. But then the 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 con the commentary and the context that's provided should be obviously reviewed. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying if the verses and the hadith are simple, they're there and they have an explanation. What I'm saying is if the context and explanation has been given in a way that's actually not correct, then that has to be corrected. Yeah. That's not censorship. I think yeah. that is yeah, that, basically being honest that our scholars over the last hundred years have maybe not been able to come to terms with the new geopolitical situation. This is one of my big, biggest criticisms of yeah. scholarship over the last hundred years. Uh, not scholars, but scholarship is that they have not um, reviewed rulings that would have been reviewed by previous scholars, great scholars, in the light of how the world has developed. And I'm saying that Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Shafi'i, Ibn Hajar, all our great scholars would have reviewed all these issues, like jihad for example, in the context of a situation where the di dynamics within which states live and war, is, war takes place are completely different, mm -hmm. are much more just. There, there's much more parity, there's much more understanding of the rules of engagement, the rules of, of rights and responsibilities, which didn't exist in the past. Mm -hmm. And in that context, I think we've had this, we've just kept this kind of, um, you know, parting off of stories and narratives and mm -hmm. explanations without thinking, that doesn't make sense now. That's why I always think when I'm thinking of rethinking a story of Khalid ibn Walid or mm -hmm. one of the great companions, one of the great battles, I always say, if I say it the way that people wanted to hear it, it's not being true to the story because that person would have done, wouldn't have done the same thing in this day and age. And that is the big challenge for scholars today, which is they have to stop. You know, it's almost as if, because a lot of scholarship is memorised, you, you know, when we studied the first three yeah, years, is yeah. memorising poems and books of fiqh and yeah. hadith. It's not critical thinking. And then the next, or the rest of the years was commentary and explanation. Mm. So we fall into the habit of re re regurgitating a memorized text without thinking who's listening to this and is it relevant to the context and is it true to the context and am I not belittling the hadith of the Quran by putting it outside its context yeah. the yeah. other issue is actually disrespecting the Quran and Sunnah by using it where it shouldn't be used mm. and putting it in a place where it's going to be oppressed is going to be misjudged by people and that's the greatest um, dishonor to our tradition, which is a scholar placing a verse of Quran in a place where it should, shouldn't, doesn't belong, and they're actually dishonoring the Quran because that type of censorship should be done, which is the commentary should be relevant to the time. So acquiring that knowledge is is um, compulsory for everyone, or at least some section of the society that we live in, so some section of Muslims. I think we're we're at a point where we are now. You know, democratizing knowledge, so everybody needs to know this. Mm. The basic ABC of this need needs to be known by everybody. We were trying to understand through the life of our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, our Master Muhammad Sallallahu Sayyidna Muhammad, how to live our faith in the context that we live in, and how important context is, and how um, youth growing up in 70s, 80s and 90s who's got some kind of religious understanding and they, they want this so-called revival to take place. How Sira of the Prophet taught 
to be in confrontation with anyone who is not who is not of the same understanding and I wonder Sheikh that has that eventually manifested into these violent incidents that we see around us I, 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 I would struggle to say that um, that that kind of understanding has a, an effect on that so you know the reading and the prominence of of war in in the context of the Prophet and Sirah, um, especially in instances, for example, where the life of the Prophet it seems to indicate the Prophet initiated warfare, or he pro- was proactive, mm. or was instigating war. Um, say, for example, the Battle of Khaybar, for example, an example that's given is Khaybar. The Prophet, um, you know, went to the tribes of Khaybar to their encampments and besieged them for a period of time. He had no need to do that, you could say, because they were just in their encampments. They had, you know, they had no reason to do make such a bold step. But if you understand the context, it is that you know the previous tribes, a number of tribes from Medina, had been expelled because of mutiny against Prophet during mm-hmm. the Battle of Uhud. He expelled them. He didn't punish them in any way. But they went to Khaybar and they plotted to then raise an army from Khaybar to attack. Mm-hmm. That kind of example is sometimes misunderstood without the context. Mm-hmm. The Battle of Tabuk, for example, Prasim, So the context of Khaybar is? The context of Khaybar is he was, he was meeting the army before they left, before, before, before they left Khaybar. Mm-hmm. Instead of waiting for them to come to Khaybar, he knew they were going to march to Khaybar. So he went to Khaybar to meet, meet them, mm-hmm. to protect his own city. Mm-hmm. And look at the Battle of... Um, um, Tabuk, for example, the Prophet. This is one of the few. In fact, the only one I know for definite. The Prophet told people where they're going. Tabuk, the Battle of Tabuk, the famous Battle of Tabuk, which came, which came a year after the previous Battle of Mu'ata, the mm-hmm. famous battle with the, with the companions. The Muslims were, de- for all intended purposes, defeated. And mm-hmm. um, where you have the Shahada of Sayyidina Ja'far al-Tayyar radiyallahu anhu, you have the, the Shahada of Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiyallahu anhu, you have the Shahada of the adopted. Um, previously adopted son of the Prophet Asim Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu anhu and the battle when, Zayd, when Khalid ibn Walid becomes prominent when he takes the banner and becomes prominent mm-hmm. that battle a year later the Prophet heard that the Byzantine Empire they were getting ready to come down for the first time in the history of the Byzantines come down to Arabia mm-hmm. to quell what they saw was an uprising of the Arab tribes of the Prophet and to and to stop them doing that the Prophet met them all the way, all the way to Tabuk. Tabuk is on the borders of, of of Jordan, and he told the companions he was going. But again, that was him responding to the news that they were going to attack. Mm-hmm. And you also, you know, you have numerous examples of of these types of of um, battles where what the Prophet is actually doing is preempting attack of on himself, as was the case pre in pre modern societies. It was a state of war and constant um, conflict. But what I think, what your question is about, has this misconstruing of the seerah led to mm. extremism? I don't mm. think that's the case. Okay. Uh, because you can't make those kind of simple jumps. But what it has done, it has allowed, you know, material to be there f- for the use of people, for the, m- for the abuse yeah. to be abused. In other words, if it was in its proper context, imagine you, you're about to, um, let's think of an example, you're about, you're about to paint a picture 
like a nice non-violent example. Mm -hmm. You want to paint a picture. You've got your lawha, which is basically your 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 piece of paper or your takhti or whatever it is. Aliva, aliva, That all comes back now for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got that, and then you want to draw something colourful, a flower. Yeah. Now, if you don't have red and all the different the primary colours, you're limited to black and white. Yeah. But if you have them there, you can use them. And the issue here is, people have grievances. Yeah. And sometimes they're they're justified, and sometimes they're unjustified. They have they have understanding of of oppression in history, which sometimes is is absolute truth. Mm. But then, what's your options? Your options are the things you have in front of you. Mm. Your options are to um, to have political representation. Your options are, and all these things can be done. Yeah. And if none of them work. And this is a very important thing. If none of them are seen to be working and people lose hope in what is there for them and they become, become disenfranchised and there's economic depri deprivation or they've had some kind of experience in their life which shows these people don't care, care about us. Mm. You know, there's kind of some kind of um, you know, negative feeling from the post-population, for example. Then you look for what's left. Mm. What's left is positive, positive meaning active action and the uh, active action then comes from your religious source if you want to take your religious source mm -hmm. and your tradition to have something to say to you then you have all these religious texts in front of you and if what has been on your cassettes and cds and and mp3 tracks are constantly telling you about these courageous warriors who fought and and in battle despite the, the the fact they were few and they were many you understand mm -hmm. then you think well this is exactly what we are in now because there's all these nations against us, and there's there's a couple of us left. We're the same as the, um, you know, the, the people mentioned in Surat al-Buruj or you know the Battle of Badr. Okay, we're the minority, but we're actually in the path of truth, and that narrative is a, comp a complete dumbing down of our history, because I can easily say that if I'm in a minority, and I feel oppressed, I can simply just say, we're just like the people of Badr. There were so many people against us. The world was against us, and it was smaller in number and yeah so it's almost as if that's a proof that you're true that mm, you're correct mm, and you're justified whereas what we know in our tradition is is not based upon your numbers whether you're a, you're a minor, majority or minority whether you're oppressed or not that tells you whether you're in the truth what tells you if you're on the truth is whether you follow the teachings as they were understood mm, mm. and that is the issue because if you don't have that understanding of the context this the seerah becomes um, misused and misusable out of context and that constant idea of you know in a situation in the Muslim countries where they are being attacked you've got the Afghanistan invasion by the, by the, by the, the so ex-Soviet empire in that situation I mean sure as hell you're going to talk about the, the seal of the Prophet in terms of battles because you're under occupation you know and you're being oppressed and you're, the lifestyle that you have and the, th and, and the thing I, I really find you know, really heartbreaking about the situation in Afghanistan was. I, I remember I, I read a book in it was in Mitchell Library, probably in, in the in the late 80s, just around about yeah, the late 80s actually. It was about Afghanistan. It was a, a, a travel book about mm -hmm. Afghanistan. It was a woman. Uh, she was went to Afghanistan in the 60s, and I read it. You know, it was quite a large book, but I read it, and it was it was um, such a beautiful book about Afghanistan. This was before the the, the whole Afghanistan issue. You know, it was starting to become prominent in our discourse in the West, but it showed a country which was, you know, where people were warm and welcoming, and they had 
immense love for people that came, but very, very courageous and very brave people. And I was thinking, that is a, has completely disappeared. Their natural disposition as being people who are proud, who are honourable, who are, who are generous. That has all been destroyed. And the only thing we think about when you think of Afghanistan now is war, you know, civil war, you know, occupation and bloodshed. And in that situation, obviously, if you're an Afghani in that situation, you want something to build your spirits up to, to fight the, 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 the Soviet occupation. Mm -hmm. And so we went through numerous situations where there was obvious oppression against the Muslim nations. If you go to nation to yeah, nation, yeah. You, you know the story of every single nation almost. And now you can actually join them all up now when you have Syria and Lebanon and you have yeah, yeah. Libya. And on those days, it wasn't the case. Iraq was one of the most well-educated Arab, Arab countries in the world. In fact, by far it was. Yeah. Um, so is this part now more accentuated now? This part of the story for us has kind of blown up more out of proportion, this extremism narrative, this uh, watching... The, the the Muslim community under the prism of security and under mm -hmm. the prism of um, the, you know fanaticism mm -hmm. and is that overrated? I think we have we're in a very difficult difficult and critical situation where we should not capitulate and f and fall in for either or. Yeah, we cannot jettison our religious tradition. Mm. Like we can't say we need to recontextualize and let's have a. New book on Sira, which puts the Sira in its in its context, but actually it's the context of of completely, you know, whitewashing our our the reality of our faith and the fact that it has a very clear concept of what just war is. Do you understand? We have that to give to humanity, and in fact, humanity has taken the concept of just war and when it's permitted to go to war and what you can do in warfare. They have taken that from Muslims. In fact, they've allowed things that Muslims would never allow. You understand? Mm -hmm. So we should never water down our tradition to the point that they say, look, we're going to rewrite the seerah. We're going to rewrite the way the Qur'an is explained. But also we should be wary of the fact that it is being used. You know, and it is, it's clearly being used. I, I know this for a fact. It's mm -hmm. fatwa after fatwa, mm -hmm. misuse of verses of the Qur'an. And they're then used on by people on the street saying, look, this is justified and that's justified. And even people that don't say it's justified people kind of say, well, we don't know what's happening, it's all conspiracy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to have a much more, pro the, the community of scholars have to be much more proactive mm -hmm. in putting the verses in so a it's true not, context. So it's not just even refuting after the event, it's not refuting, oh, no, no, we, we don't condone this, or it's haram in Islam and all the rest of it. I mean, that is cringeworthy stuff sometimes that comes out, that something has happened and then say, oh, Islam doesn't allow, as if there will be an iota of doubt that Islam could ever allow it. Yeah, so this, this is why my focus is always on not the reaction to things. I mean, people can react, and I don't have any, any problem with people yeah. doing that. But I think this is a long-term process of education. You have to start from the basics of how you pray, how you worship, but also add into it the discussions about politics and, and discussions about war and peace. It has to be for, for our children, for the, the age of our children, the, the teenagers, the adults, the elders. I mean... I believe that our elders need to retouch, make a reconnection with their understanding of these topics as well. And we're going to go to this du'a for the fourth time. We're going to go for du'a for the fourth time, inshallah. And I want to ask Sheikh Rizwan a few questions around that du'a. Let's listen to this du'a that we have lined up for ourselves and the listeners.
Now the word which we are inshallah going to learn today is taken from Surah Al-Mu'minun, Surah number 23, verse number 159, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches his companions to say, Rabbana amanna faghfir lana warhamna wa anta khayrul rahimeen. Rabbana, O our Lord, amanna, we have believed, faghfir lana, so forgive us, warhamna, and have mercy upon us, wa anta khayrul rahimeen, and surely you are the best of the merciful. Rabbana faghfir lana warhamna wa anta maulana fansurna No, I've gone there. That's the other dua. Rabbana amanna faghfir lana warhamna wa anta khayrul rahimeen Yes, you wanted to ask some questions? Yeah, see this where the first half of the dua stops it says, oh Allah forgive us No, we believed in you so forgive us mm-hmm. But this concept of you said that Forgive what And all we're saying is um, We have believed So forgive us There, There is no um, uh, We're not saying we've sinned we've not, We're not saying we've done this We've done X, Y and Z But we're still asking for Allah's forgiveness What, 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 uh, what is this concept? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim um, So a number of Du'as in the Quran do actually mention ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا فِلَّمْ تَقْفِلْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَكُنَا الْقَاسِرِينَ For example, oh our Lord, we have sinned against ourselves. ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا actually means to um, to misplace our souls. Actually, a very good understanding would be to ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا actually because ظُلُمْ in Arabic actually means to put something where it doesn't belong. So what it actually means is ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا actually means our souls, which is ourselves, أَنفُسَنَا We have placed them somewhere where they don't belong And it's actually a very deep um, ad- admittance from people which is that they're following and their inclinations and their desires and their reason for existence is not what it should be which is وَإِنَّ الصَّلَاةِ وَنُسُكِ وَمَمْحَيَامَاتِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Let's say that my which is my prayer and my 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 um, you know practices which are your observations of religion and my life and my death are for the Lord of the worlds that is where your nafs should be your soul should be on that path which is every inclination of worship and devotion uh, the reason why you get up in the morning the reason why you you fall asleep and you live and you die is for the Lord of the worlds so in most du'as actually is an admittance of what we've done wrong which, which is that we in a most generic sense is we have placed our souls and our nafs in a place where they shouldn't be which is actually we've sold it to something that, that doesn't be, it, doesn't be, it doesn't belong to mm-hmm. and that's usually the dunya it's usually misplacing um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pl- replacing that with something that is a mediocre replacement which is usually the world which is you know lush and, and, and it's full of endearing um, grandeur but it disappears so the Quran obliterates that by saying every single thing upon it is going to be obliterated and the thing that will remain is the countenance and the beauty and the and the face of your Lord that's indicating that every place you place everything you place your, your confidence in and your and your all your you know your eggs are in one basket. That is not the place where you should be placing it. In this um, ayah, ayah of the Quran, in this du'a specifically, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't mention 
um, anything about the fact that we have sinned, which is your question. It doesn't mention the sin. It doesn't mention the fact that they have sinned. It just fast forwards to the fact that, oh Allah, we have believed. And part of belief, think, thinking about it, is part of what you believe, what have you believed in. Mm-hmm. Now, His mercy. To, to properly believe, amanna, in the most perfect, if you just say the word in Arabic, it means that you've believed in the most perfect way. Like we have believed how you asked us to believe in. You and your attributes and your qualities and your names and your descriptions and your actions and how you've dealt with people in the past who were righteous and how the, you dealt with the people that were wronging themselves and how you dealt with the people that were oppressive. We have believed in every single thing of that. Mm. We have believed in the story of Adam. We have still believed in the story of Iblis, the shaitan. We have believed in the story of Musa and, and Fir'aun. We have believed in the, 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 the coming back of Yaqub with his son Yusuf. We have believed in every single story of human um, depth in the, in the history of our of, of our species. We've believed in that, and we know from that that human beings are prone to sin. Mm-hmm. So it's as if it doesn't mention what's being believed in. You have to fill in the blanks. So this mm-hmm. is why the Quran. Sometimes when I listen to Quran, Sin um, Tarawih, for example. Sometimes this one word throws me for the rest of the, the raka'ah Because I'm mm-hmm. thinking, that, why is that word there? And sometimes when I'm reciting, I get stuck Because I'm thinking, why is it like this and not like that? And then, and you know mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to recite the Qur'an without tadabbur mm-hmm. To get to the end of the verse yeah, yeah. Otherwise you'll be stuck in saying stuck there. Because when I, when I, this is one of the reasons I don't I, not, I don't like teaching tafsir it's very difficult for me to t- teach tafsir in a way that I would like to teach it because yeah. you just end up getting stuck in a word. Being there with you. Yeah. So. All the programs. Yeah. So. <laughs> so the thing is, you just get you're intrigued and you're just thinking, each word has so many facets. The way it's constructed, it could mean another way, but why is it this way? And for a lot of people in English, it doesn't make any sense at all, mm-hmm. because in the Arabic is a very clear language. It's, it's crystal. The language is crystal, like looking at crystals. And every word It's like a perfectly Amanna. formed crystal Which has its own context Which has its own meaning And what's missing from that is What have we believed in? Yeah, yeah. And it's missed for a reason The reason it's missed is That it's, it's left your imagination That this is everything That needs to be believed in For us to realise that we are In need of God But see, every little string Every little thing would lead to just one thing that we believed in the Almighty. Mm-hmm. So e- everything is a helping aid to eventually believe in that there is one God. I'm not sure un- I'm understanding. So the what exact you say, yeah, Rabbana Amanna, right? Mm-hmm. So be- we believe in all the stories, the stories of the Prophet, mm-hmm. uh, stories of other prophets, mm-hmm. believe in all the all the worlds that exist. All the things that have happened before we we came into this world, mm-hmm. we believe in in the spirit and the angels, uh, you know, so all the parts. Mm-hmm. But eventually, mm-hmm. all of this leads to actually believing in that there is one God who's created us. Yes, that's a general thing, isn't it? So you could say, well, Amanna could be everything. Yeah. And so why is it relevant to this verse? Because Amanna that you created the, the, the heavens and the earth in, 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 in six days, which is not relevant to this. Okay. But what happens in language, human language, is that you know we don't just think and gain information as soon as it, it's said. Sometimes when we finish the verse, we understand the beginning of it. In Turkish, for example, 
um, you don't know what's being said until the last word has been uttered. It's the complete opposite of, of English. In fact, it's, a very, it's one of the rare languages in human history where you know who's done what, when, at the end. Yaran pazara gittim. Yesterday I went to the, to the marketplace. I went, comes right at the end. We don't know who, who did what until right at the end you get the sentence. In the Quran, in, in normal languages, that's still the case because you don't say... Um, that the con amanna, which is we believe, we don't know what it is, so general. As soon as you say faghfilana, and when you say rabbana, you understand it's a dua. So mm-hmm. your mind is focused and you're thinking, okay, what does it mean amanna? We're going to find out later. And then when you finish the verse, the whole verse, then you rewind and you actually read it and you think, I understood. Mm-hmm. So you understand it's not saying, it's not linear, like language is not always I ate the date. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. That is the way we think about it, but proper rich language is used usually to mix up the normal um, yeah, way that yeah. we understand. Yeah, yeah, it leaves things to your imagination. It is a date today that I ate. Yeah, yeah. Just at the top of my head, that's a way of saying something with a different meaning. Yeah. So it gets you to think, it's a date, what? That I stole. It doesn't give you anything until you finish the sentence. Here it's exactly the same. Rabbana amanna. What are we, what are we saying we believe in? It's a specific qualities that God has that mean that he's created us as being faulty and prone to mistakes and sin and wrong actions. And then when we say faghfillana, we understand that that is what is exactly being meant because of dua. But it doesn't say, again, Allah's mercy is such, he doesn't ask us to say and he doesn't ask us to repeat what we are asking forgiveness from. Faghfillana. And that, and that is the issue of humility that I mentioned yesterday, that you, your humility is such that you, that nothing is off the table for you. You can never imagine in your life, no matter how pious you are, that you will never be afflicted by sin. You understand? When you are pious, would you start feeling that you are pious? And that is the biggest. That is one of the biggest. Um, that's one of the biggest pitfalls that Shaitan has prepared for mm-hmm. on the path. If you think of the path as being a, a straight path, and the biggest one is at your death. But before that is is the one which, in which you are moving towards God's pleasure, and the shaitan says, "I have the biggest um, plots for this person, and it's one that I've devised myself. That it's like patented, mm-hmm. copyrighted. Um, you know, it's the shaitan's own. It's, it believes his own, which is pride, arrogance, and based upon worship. So shaitan's waiting for you." He's waiting for you to be get into the fifth gear in, in worship and or devotion. And then he'll say, okay, just keep going. Give faster. Yeah, yeah. Pray more. Fast more. Give more charity. Because your biggest test is not in doing that. Your biggest test is in doing it for the sake of God. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Because that is hidden. And if it's for the sake of God, then you will gain the paradise that God has promised you and the pleasure that God has promised you. Is this the case that, if, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts people in a state of sin just to make them feel that they are after all human and mm-hmm. they, they are they are prone to mistakes and they, they've lived a life all their lives of purity and then they fall into the situations in these situations where they, they feel they are they are falling short of their, their faith mm-hmm. is that Allah's divine plan sometimes to 
actually make people understand that they they are just normal human beings and they're the same. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, mean, I think one of the things we know from the Quran, Hadith, Prophet, and also the things of our, of our illustrious scholars is that that is a means of mercy that God has given us. That He constantly reminds us that we're human, and it's almost one of the blessings of God that He shows us our own wrong actions and our mistakes and our frailty to ensure that we will not fall into the the, the sin of shaitan. Mm-hmm. So. You know, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has created, you know, human beings frail, ujula in the Quran, it talks about this idea of being hasty and wanting things right away. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also said that, you know, through the tongue of the Prophet that every single son of Adam is, is, a, is a person who commits mistakes and sins, and the best of those are the ones that um, ask forgiveness. And Ibn Atayl al-Askandri, he says that, He said, how many... A mistake that you make or sin that you do which creates a state of brokenness in front of God that you're, mm. you're, you're humbled is better than a state of ta'atin awratha istikbar good action that makes you proud he says how many times have you sinned and that's better for you than doing a good action but not because sinning is better than good actions yeah, yeah. it's because the effect Istighfar of the sin is better than yeah, the, the, the sin led to inkisar in Kisar is to be broken, yeah. to feel that you need to be fixed. Okay. You need the quality of Allah as al-Jabbar to reconstitute your spirit. <clears throat> and that is the mercy of God that He provides by telling us that, Oh Allah, forgive us. We're not going to say what it is, but we're in need of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the immense quality of God's means of speaking with such eloquence that He doesn't mention it there. Mm-hmm. And you're hiding it within the you know you're hiding it within the clothing of everybody else who's sinned you know everybody's in the same boat the sinner who's in, who's intoxicated by his sin and the person who maybe has made minor mistakes in their life and they're all put together with it and so you as a sinner are next to the great you know wali or the great scholar who has made maybe made one mistake or a couple of mistakes that are in in their life they think about you're coming to the you're end with of them reflections uh, rabbana Amanna faghfirlana warhamna wa anta khairul rahimin Ey humare rab hum iman laaye tu hume bakhsh de aur hum par rehm kar aur tu bahut bada rehm karne wala hai Iftar at 9 past a minute from now Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.